and welcome to the Hot Coffee Podcast, a podcast for copywriters all about copywriting. And today we're going to try something a little bit different. We haven't done this for a while, but we're actually going to have a copywriting question and answer session. So we've gathered some questions from our various communities and social media pages, and today we're going to truck through all of them. So this is the episode when you could get your question answered. Hello, my name is Kate Toon and I'm a copywriter, the founder of the Clever Copywriting School and the Recipe for SEO Success Learning Hub. And with me is my co-host, Belinda Weaver. My name is Belinda Weaver. I am a copywriter as well. My business is called Copyright Matters and I created the Copywriting Masterclass. Well, we usually start the show with a quick question, but Belinda just deleted it from the notes. So I don't know what the question was now. So instead, I'm just going to ask you, Belinda, how are you? How are things in your life at the moment? Um, Things are very busy and I usually kind of like busy, but we're going on a big overseas trip in a week's time. So of course, there's the craziness that comes with um, all the things you have to do before travel. And I'm about to launch my copywriting masterclass and I've decided now is the time to redo all the content. So I'm trying to get a lot done before we go. That's that's a big job. I redid all my videos at the beginning of this year and it was torturous, but you'll feel so good when it's done. Well, when when is the Copywriting Masterclass open for registration? Oh, thanks for asking, Kate. Unexpected plug here. It will be... <laughs> I know we did. We didn't. We didn't rehearse no, this that's either. Right, we? I'm just genuinely, genuinely interested. <laughs> um, September twenty is when the doors open, and they're only going to be open for ten days this time. I'm actually reducing the time it's open, so it'll be a thrilling ten days for me, um, and then we'll, we'll get <laughs> off. But yeah, I'm really looking forward to actually just getting on the plane and going on a holiday and having a break from it all. How about you? I bet you are. Well, look, we'll include a link to the Copywriting Masterclass in the show notes. It's also in the sidebar of every page. Many of the people in my community have done your course and say it's amazing. I'm almost tempted to do it myself, but I think I'd just be embarrassed about how much I don't know. And I don't want to admit that after eight years of being a copywriter. Um, For me, I've been ill. I've had flu now for 18 days I'm not counting. That's not- um, and I've actually even taken a few days off, which I never do. Ever. So, Ever. Yeah. Not really. And you, not really. Not to be And you Ill. just admitted that you even still worked then. I did constantly. I can't stop. I've got too many things going on. But anyway, that's boring. Listen to us whinge. Um, now we're going to actually stop talking about ourselves and start answering yeah, your questions. Yeah, this is a good one. We've got lots exciting. of questions, so we better get stuck in. We did. We got some amazing ones. We got so many that we're actually going to um, do this episode, and then in a couple of weeks' time, we're going to do a second question and answer episode. So, if you don't hear your question answered in this episode, tune in soon for another one because we got some really great ones, and they're across a huge range of subjects. So, hopefully, they'll be interesting to all of you. Well, look, the first one is from Diana Gaffney, and I think this question is one on everyone's lips. What is your number one way to win clients, Belinda? Um, I think the way that has been most effective for me is relationship building. And the way I've done that is through networking and content marketing. But I think networking is absolutely the way to um, get in front of people who will either book you directly or spread the word of your existence. And I always found face-to-face networking torturous to say the least but extremely effective. Kate what about you? 
For me, honestly, I I think it, I'm going to say it. It sounds a bit cheesy to be honest, but for me, it's always been through Google search. So, um, you know, I worked very hard at that on my first few years of being a copywriter, um, you know, and I set up pages that were fairly self-explanatory. So I've always had a very steady flow of inquiries um, through just organic search. Um, in terms of ongoing clients, obviously, it's just keeping my clients as happy as possible so they come back. And we've talked about this on previous episodes, but, you know, I really loved the clients I had and I really gave them the attention. And that sounds really obvious and we all think we do that. But, you know, I loved them hard. I sent them gifts. I followed up afterwards and just, you know, to ask how things were going with with no real idea of wanting any more work just genuinely because I was interested you know I, I found little articles in in you know online magazines and sent them to them and said hey you know remember you talked about liking toast here's an article about toast um, but it was all done in a non sort of particularly salesy way so I guess same as you really relationship building um but with the clients I already had to the point where probably about four or five years in all my clients I didn't take on any new clients. Pretty much all of them were just repeat business. We've actually got a whole episode dedicated to how to get clients. So we'll include a a link to the show notes, uh, in the show notes for that. Excellent. All right. So the next question we have is for Marie-Pierre Rochon. Is that how you would say it? It is. She is French. Boom. I'm sorry, Marie, if that was a terrible version of your name. Um, But she said, a question I had as a newbie, how much time should it take to make enough money as a freelancer to live from it? Is it better to start on the side and make the jump when there's too much work? Or should you just save a bit of money and go for it? All in from day one. Which did you do, Kate? So I kind of did a bit of both, which makes no sense, but I took on jobs while I was working in an ad agency and did them in my spare time and in my lunch break and while I should have been doing my agency work, let's be honest. Um, But I'm not sure I would have ever got to the point where I had so much work I felt like I could give up the day job. You know, the reason we've talked about this on previous episodes, but the reason I started fully freelancing um, was because I got pregnant and I, I couldn't keep on doing my job. And then I kind of just never went back. So I think there's a danger in going, well, I have to get to this amount before I'm going to take the plunge because you'll just keep changing that amount. You'll keep moving the goalposts. I think there does come a point where you just have to um, go for it um, and say, I'm going to give this a pop and think, well, hey, what's the worst that could happen? I can always go back to my day job. Um, You know, it's always going to be there. So, yeah, I don't know. What did you do? I started on the side. I, too, um, wrote copy in my day job as a marketing manager Um, and I wrote on the weekends and I wrote um, in the evenings. When I actually decided it was time to take the leap and pack in the day job was when I was getting regular leads. So I felt confident enough in my marketing process that I thought I could get more work. I wasn't, I was almost replacing my salary, um, but I wasn't there yet. But I thought, you know what? I'm, I've done this enough times. Like I've got a few clients enough times that I can do this again. So now it's time to go and I can dedicate more time to it. Because as you said, there's, I was working at capacity. I was effectively working two jobs and you can only do that for so long. I did it for about six months. Yeah. I think, I also think there's a point where when you say, hey, look, I am giving up the day job and I'm going to do this, that you do it properly. I don't know. I think while it's a side hustle, 
you have a different approach to it. When you when it's your main income and you're using it to pay your mortgage, I think you go all in. And it's even stupid things like you can't update your LinkedIn profile to admit that you're a freelance copywriter because it's going to damage your day job. You know? Yeah, so, I'd say you can only know. do one job well. I I yes. chose to do my day job poorly <laughs> for a little while, yeah. um, and I found out later yeah. that my boss was um, watching me on Twitter when I was starting to do my content marketing and like putting helpful tips out and stuff and I was a bit oops um but I was already out and I turned um my day job into my first retainer client so all's well that ends well but I think uh, the yeah. lesson there is you have to reach a point you have to decide when you're going to go all in because you can't you can't yeah. give it all until you do and that point will be different for everyone yeah. hey there's a really annoying bird tweeting outside my window I do apologize but you were just talking about tweeting yeah. so there we go anyway um the next question is from Carla Beth, and she says, how do you best manage your time when you're starting to get clients but still working out how long tasks take you to do? Now, this is a really well-timed question because the next pod that gets published is all about time management, and Kate and I are going to bust out some really, really good time management tips. But I think when you're still working out how long things take you, you just you kind of have to make a best guess. What I used to do is, is look at the work I had done and try and find similarities um, and then just from there, like do the project and go, all right, how long did that actually take me? Was my estimate accurate or not? And tracking your time is really, really important to this. So I used to take a best guess based on what I'd done in the past and then evaluate my quotes as I was going. Yeah, totally. I, and as we said, we'll talk more about time tracking in the next episode. But um, yeah, I kept a sort of spreadsheet of how long every job took me. Um, and then I would, you know, could refer back to it and go, well, look, you know, uh, a 10 page website is going to take me on average X hours. And obviously you win some, you lose some. Sometimes that job will take slightly longer next time. And then, it, you know, and that's why we, we charge fixed price. If you haven't um, listened to our pricing episode, we'll include a link to that as well. But one little plug here, a little resource that you might all find useful is I have a little pricing course on the Clever Copywriting School and one of the resources that you get with that course is kind of like a rate card for every job saying how long every job should roughly take uh, whether it's a press release a product description a website and what I did was I went out to about 15 different copywriters of all different levels and said how long would it take you to do this job given these um, specifications and then I took an average of those so that for some people has been one of the best the best resources they've ever had because you know you think well hey it takes me seven hours to write a sales page is that yeah. normal um am I really slow uh, and you know sometimes it's just reassuring to hear other people go well actually it takes me 10 hours so you're doing great yeah. you know so try and do it yourself ask other copywriters you know and then come up with an average yeah I think, I think. that's good and definitely get that resource from Kate's Clever Copywriting School because that sounds tremendous. It's pretty good. Uh, so the next question I've got is from Becky Brown. I write, she's a student of mine, and she asked me, um, how do you manage projects? She said, my client load has outgrown my simple system for tracking deliverables, comms, and deadlines. Any project management tools that work well for copywriters and maybe any tips on scheduling and managing lots of incoming work. So it's kind of the flip side of Carla's. Um, question. So do you want to lead yes. on this one, Kate? Yeah. So, I mean, my background is project management. So that's a skill that I've always kind of had that, you know, that ability to uh, manage multiple jobs, but also know when you're at capacity, because I think that's a real point. Like how many jobs is too many jobs? 
I started off using a very simple spreadsheet, which is something that you can get free from the Clever Copywriting School. It's called the WIP. And it's literally just a spreadsheet of, of jobs and, and the different stages within the job. And, you know, you can see, well, this job's up to stage seven. Um, I've done, you know, I've done the proposal, the first draft and blah, blah, blah. This job is only up to stage one. And, you know, you don't want to have too many jobs that are at stage one or too many jobs that are at stage seven. So that I used that for, honestly, about four or five years. And it worked pretty well, you know. Um, um, then when I wanted to kind of really up level, I just said it, um, I moved on to Basecamp. Um, and I found Basecamp was a really great tool for managing multiple projects and seeing and putting in all the milestones and keeping track of things. I now use Asana, which I actually find less good, mm-hmm. that's the right phrase, than Basecamp. Um, I find Asana very good for managing individuals, but not so good for projects. Um And I think, look, in terms of it's really important to going back to Carla's question to really think about the time that a job is going to take you and to be really clear on that. Um, And I got to the point where I've mentioned this before, where I would only take one new brief a week. So on Monday was my briefing day. You know, that was the day that I took my brief for a new job. Um, And one new brief a week, you know, sometimes it would be a 20 page website. Sometimes it would be a one page flyer, but it kind of evened out and it made my week structure really, really well. But I, I think it's a constant juggle and I'm not sure... I have an exact answer for you. What do you what do you what do you well, do, Belinda? I think my big bit of advice was knowing how much you can take yeah. on. And that's knowing how long things take you as well. Um, but also because your reputation is worth more than the mm. money you will get by taking on too much work. Because there was more than once I took on too many projects and the wheels just kind of fell off. Like I, I couldn't really keep track of deliverables and I didn't deliver exceptional service. And something you said at the beginning, Kate, you've got to love on your customers really hard and it's worth taking one or two fewer projects in order to do that. Um, I ended up, um, I use the same, like not the same Excel spreadsheet, but I use an Excel spreadsheet. And then I am switched to a tool called Liquid Planner, which was essentially a project management tool for big corporations. But So it was a complete overkill, um, but I really loved it because it gave me very cool Gantt charts that made it very easy to see maybe when I was available because all the, all the projects would be out there. But I think the key is knowing don't don't get to maximum capacity um how what's the max number of projects you ever took on at once i think you know ones all running at the same time probably about 14 um that was that was horrific um i I, you know a figure that seems good to me was about seven or eight um but that would be you know when my son was at school and i had you know good 30 30 or so hours a week and you know maybe that eight was made up of you know, one big ongoing project, you know, maybe one little retainer where I was writing a blog a week, a couple of websites, a couple of press releases, you know. Um, yep. At max, I could do four, I was thinking about this, I could do about four 10-page websites a month. That was about it. It took me about a week, you know, when you of actual working time, not counting the back and forth with the client. So, you know, yeah. But I think, you know, it's, it's all very dependent on who you are and how you write and it's a tricky one to answer, yeah, isn't it? It is a tricky one. But, yeah, it's like know how much you can take on. Don't let it get to burnout. Mm. And um, it, to play with some different tools, I think. You, you've got to – we've all worked through a few different tools and uh, you'll, you'll find the one that works for you. 
you want to do Sandy's question? Uh, yeah, Sandy's question. Uh, so Sandy Forbes-Taylor, who's one of my copywriters in my little community, asks, what ways? What are the ways to get feedbacks on the quality of your writing from someone more knowledgeable than perhaps your client? When What mentoring or feedback options could a new writer look for if they want to grow as a writer? Asking for a friend. I think she's being sarcastic mm. there. Um, so what are your thoughts on that? Um, well, I think... Well, the obvious thing that I'm going to say is we both have coaching and mentoring (laughs) sessions. Like you and I both have, like through our various channels, we we offer mentoring. So you can find a mentor and a coach who you can book one session or multiple sessions with. And and as I said, Kate and I both offer that as a service. Um, But if that's not what you're looking for, you know, another thing is mastermind groups because I know, Kate, you and I are both part of private groups of copywriters and we support each other in a lot of different ways but I think if one of us were to post some copy to say what do you think I think our little groups would would comment yeah in the way that we needed to so that that could be another way I think there's like three options really I think you know you can try doing the thing where you reach out to a copywriter that you admire and but you know and and you might get lucky but you know Honestly, most copywriters who are working copywriters have mortgages to pay, you know, bills to pay, have their own client work. And, you know, they're unlikely to want to um, mentor you ongoing for no fee. You know, they have to be a very magnanimous, successful person to want to do that. Um, Yeah. You know, Um, the next option is to, yeah, join a community or do a course such as Belinda's um, and, you know, get that group support um, and also the support of of a mentor. But, you know, you're going to have to pay for that. And, you know, I would honestly say I wish I'd done that early on because it would have smashed so much time I wasted thinking about imposter syndrome you know just getting a few bits of copy reviewed and I know you do copy critiques in your group and I do copy critiques in my group um, and they're really powerful and then I guess the other option is to just find a friend find another copywriter who's willing to review your work um you know obviously they they may not be an award-winning genius but often you don't need that you just need someone else to have a read through and go yeah I think that's pretty good um so I think those are the three options you know really lucking out and finding someone who's willing to help you for nothing good luck with that I never managed to do that um paying some money to someone or finding a friend or forming a little little mastermind group like you mentioned Mm. so hopefully Mm. that helps sandy yep um the next one we've got here is from zoe heard uh, and she's a student of mine her business name is get heard which i think is possibly one of the best business names i love it yeah and she says i wrote a sales email for a client which returned over seven thousand dollars in sales i'd like to use this as an example for return on investment for potential copywriting clients which is a great idea um she says what's the best way to write a case study to publish on my website like maybe as a blog or a portfolio piece and how else can i show off this success yeah i think I think I would write a case study, whether you have case studies as a separate, you know, static page within your site, or you have a samples page, or you do it as a blog post. I think any of those, any of those are perfectly acceptable. I think what you want to try and do is get the the words from the client. So what you want is a great testimonial that says, Zoe wrote me a sales letter that turned over $7,000, because you saying it 
will sound like, hey, I made a sales. It's, you know, that's how, we talked about yeah. this with Kira, Kira Hug and, and how, you know, this kind of like, I'm awesome. I write $10,000 sales letters. I just think it sounds a bit bombastic and, and OTT. So if you can get it in, in their words, fantastic. If you could get them to make you a video, fantastic. That would be awesome. Um, and then in terms of, you know, how else you can show this off, you know, you can turn that into like a meme that you share repeatedly on Instagram and LinkedIn. You know, it, it's a great achievement, Zoe, and to have a figure like that. Mm. Um, and and uh, what I would say is specific, specificity. I could never say that word. You know what I'm trying to say. Yep. Specificity. You know, don't say that it made $7,000. Tell people exactly what it made. Do you know? 7126 Be really straight on it. Um, because that's much more credible than just some rounded off figure. What would your suggestions be? Um, pretty much all those things. I would I would definitely write it up as a blog. And, you know, like a case study has the, the problem, the solution and the results. And I think Zoe could tick off all of those um, yeah. with lots of quotes from the client. And, you know, Zoe could really talk about how she approached the problem and how she came up with the solution um, because she's trying to show off her skills as a copywriter here. So, yeah, yeah. I, I would write it up as a blog post. Then on my portfolio page I would have my usual maybe images and a testimonial but a link to the more in-depth case study as well. And then, as you said, there's videos in there. There's all types of content marketing spin. So I would, oh, God, I would work it for as much as I could. Work it hard, baby. Work it hard. (laughs) Um, Good one. Well done, Zoe. That's an excellent achievement. Um, The next question comes from Emily Rhodes. um, And Emily is one of the Copy School members. And she asks, once you've exhausted, oh, I can't speak. Once you've exhausted your own professional network, as you start building a client list, how can you expand your presence in a niche where people need and will pay for copywriting, but often, but don't often know to look for it? Oh, that's a big, that's a big old question, isn't it? Um, I guess it depends on your niche. You know, some niches are easier to um, get connected to than others you know if you want to work with real estate agents well then I'd say suggest trying to find some kind of real estate conference or meet up and and bobbing along to that um, but if you're like you know trying to write for tradies it's a bit harder you know maybe there aren't gatherings of tradies that you can go to I think you know pitching up at networking events does work um, what you want to do is pitch up at a networking event where hopefully you're the only copywriter in the room mm. so I'm not talking about going to like you know, marketing networking events where everyone's a marketeer. You want to be going to the niche events. Um, and, you know, I think maybe some cold emailing. I wouldn't, I'm not a fan of cold calling, but, you know, sending off sample packs to potential clients that you want to work with, um, fluffing them a little bit on social media, liking their posts, commenting on them, uh, retweeting them, all that kind of stuff. Um, and then, then reaching out to them. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, that's what I would suggest. I think in addition to that, their great ideas is going, like, as always, you need to be where your target audience is. So going into forums, like go to places yes. where they're hanging out and online is a lot easier, but as you mentioned, networking events and conferences and stuff, and be the copywriter there ask, answering their questions. So, you know, small business forums are great for this, but it's very broad, yeah. but if there's niche forums... Try and get in there and answer questions that you, any any questions you can. Exactly. And just become known in that group for being the copywriting expert. Yeah.
And now a little message from the pro copywriters, our friends in the UK. Are you looking for copywriting training and development? Well, on October 13th, the Copywriting Conference returns to London with a day-long event dedicated to the science of words that work. With a blend of talks and workshops, the conference is designed to inspire and inform in equal measure. You can check out the full conference lineup at copywritingconference.com and if you use the code HOTCOPY during checkout, you can save £50 on the standard ticket price. I wish I could be there. Now, back to the episode. Narissa Bentley has the next question here and she asks how to deal with non-compete requests and what to be wary of, if anything, when signing a non-disclosure agreement. And I have to bat this one over to you, Kate. I've never been asked to sign a non-disclosure agreement. Yeah, I I have several times. Um, They're they're pretty standard. I don't know if there's a huge amount you need to look out for in terms of non-disclosure. Obviously, unfortunately, it's often the big brands that make you sign them. Um, I remember I did a big job for a brand I can't name, (laughs) a big suite of hotels. Um, I really wanted to do the work, but they made me sign an NDA, which also meant that I couldn't then talk about the job. I couldn't use it as a sample or a testimonial. Um, So, you know, it was, and I couldn't use the logo on my site. So it was a real shame, you know, because often we do big brand jobs, not just for the money, but for the, for the branding opportunities in terms of non-competes. So, you know, say you are, um, I think you have to say you're a, you, you're a medical copywriter and you've got two dentist practices that both want you to write their website. Um, I, I think my policy has always been to upfront, be upfront about it. Um, you know, uh, if, if I'm literally writing the copy at the same time, um, maybe I would mention it. But look, you know, as a copywriter, you are going to do the same kind of industries again and again and again. Um, so I've never... I've never signed a non, unless it was a giant brand that I really wanted to work with. I would not be like doing non-compete for small businesses. It's part of being a copywriter that you're going to write for very similar businesses again and again. What do you think? I absolutely agree. I have a question for you, Kate, um, regarding the non-disclosure agreement. If you get presented with um, this kind of opportunity, big brand, very enticing, but you cannot tell a soul about it. Is it worth doing? Yes, (laughs) Yes, <laughs> Could you totally. get unless unless it's lots of money, I would say no, it's not basically because <laughs> there are a lot. We've talked about working with big brands before; they can be a big pain in the bum. So you know, you want the money and the brand, not just the money. Yeah, that's true. That's true. <laughs> um, but I think just to really clarify on this, I guess you know, in a situation, Belinda, where say you were working for one IT company in Sydney and another IT company came along and said, hey, I want you to write my IT website and I'm, you know, th- these people are one of their, my competitors. What? How would you handle that? Um, so this is a client who knows I'm writing copy for another business. No, they don't yet. You know that right. both of them are very similar. Do you tell them? Do you, um, what do you do? You know what? Yeah, if I like you said, if I was writing the copy, if I was in the project, I would sort of, and I was talking yeah. to the new client, I would say, "Oh, you've named this business. I'm actually writing copy for them right now. I'm not sure I'm the best copywriter for this project. I would help them find another copywriter." But you know, my general approach, like you, you can't help. Like I don't know how many financial services websites I've written, how many plumbing websites I've written. You're gonna have that repeat, and I think you have to find 
what is uh, distinctive about each business. So you might have to put in a bit more effort to find uh, the uniqueness, um, but that's part of your job as a copywriter too. But if if, if it actually cropped up and I got a funny feeling in my tummy that it might be awkward, I'd go, yeah, this is a clash and I'd mention it. Because at the end of the day, you know, most people coming to you for work are going to be looking at your portfolio and you've written five other IT websites websites and that's why yes. they're employing you so you know so yeah it's a hard one it's a weird one I, you know I would never sign a non-compete for a small business job for a huge brand they're going to make you do it you have to just weigh it up on whether you want that job yeah. that badly um okay next question is from Alicia Kaka I always never know if I say that right I don't just just like saying Kaka um so Alicia is a member of my community and she asks do I really need a website opt-in mm-hmm. email database it seems like a lot of extra work to create an opt-in and communicate regularly to subscribers who may not care about anything outside their own project yeah. what a great question Belinda what well do you think? I think it's all about relationship building. Now, you don't have to have an opt-in, absolutely not. But one of the benefits of creating content um, and getting an email list going and sharing that content with that email list is you're building relationships with people. You're staying top of mind with them. You're being the copywriter that they know. What you have to be clear about is who you're writing to and for. Um, there can be some confusion definitely on copywriting blogs. Are you writing for other copywriters or are you writing for clients? And they're two very different styles of blogs, I think. So is it worth writing a blog to share um, with an email database? Yes. Yes, I think it is. Yes, it is extra work. But essentially your blog is also your portfolio. So your relationship building, you're showing off your writing, you're building your authority. And I think that's worth the effort. Now, the specific question was, do you need to create an opt-in? No, no, you don't. No. You know, so I had an email sign-up box for about four years where I didn't have any particular thing that you got from, you know, you can get like a a 10-page checklist for blah, 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 blah. It was just sign up if you want to hear more from me. And I, you know, I didn't, I'm I'm not as good as Belinda. Belinda Belinda's one of these people that when she says she's going to do something, she does it, which is very impressive. But like, (laughs) I would be like, I'm not promising that I'm going to email you every month. I'll email you when I feel a you know, a tingle in my wiggly bits and I feel like doing it. So, you know, I've been putting pressure on myself. If I had something interesting to share, I wanted to do a newsletter, I did it. If I didn't, I didn't. Um, uh, Yeah, but, and, you know, I guess maybe for, let's be honest, about our lists for the first two or three years, I probably had, you know, 500 people in my list for ages and ages and ages. It really wasn't until maybe the last couple of years that I started, like, consciously I, don't, I still don't consciously try and grow my list. I'm like, if someone wants to sign up, good on you, go for it. But, you know, mm-hmm. it's, and yes, you find that a lot of people in your list will be other copywriters probably, um, but there will be business people as well. And, and you'll be surprised how powerful email can be. I think it's second only to SEO in terms of marketing wonderment. So why not? It, it really doesn't yeah. take that long. You know, if you get, you can get a free MailChimp account, cut, put the form into WordPress, take your, like an hour to work out, collect the email addresses. Who knows when you may need them? Like when Belinda and I both started, we didn't know we were going to have courses and podcasts and all this. We were just, you know, regular copywriters. I'm glad I started building my list eight years ago rather than a year ago, you know? So exactly. Yeah. And I just, I, I often got work from my blog where people would say, oh, I read the blog all the time. 
I just don't want to do it. Yeah. I want you to do it. Yeah. Or people will say to me, I, you know, I've been reading your blog for three years. Now I finally have a project I can work with you on, you know? So it's not that much effort. So I would definitely do it. Yeah, me too. Me too. All right. I've got, uh, yeah, Johanna Kohler who asks how to work with clients, designers and developers. So I think it's designers and developers of clients. Yeah. Um, Great. You did this a lot, didn't you? You had this kind of triangle the love, thing going. The love triangle, yeah. And we actually had an episode yeah. with um, the lovely Kathy Topping where she gave us some tips on this as well. So, oh, we'll, yes, um, exactly this. We'll try and remember to share that as well. All these things we've promised to share, we will all forget. So please tell us if we've forgotten any of them. That's no, right. I'm making a note. Oh, you, oh, you are so good. Thank goodness for Belinda. But I think, look, with diplomacy, um, often you have to think about the relationship that pre-exists. So if they've been working with a designer and developer, just remember that you're the new guy um, and, you know, your job is to to stick around and to make people like you. So sometimes you might need to bite your tongue and, and you know, choose your battles. Um, I think often what happens, unfortunately, um, is that the design is done first and then you're asked to sort of fill in the page with words, which doesn't work. You know, the words should come first and the design should be around the words as far as I'm concerned um, so that can be hard um, I think it's important to be obviously diplomatic um, to as much as possible not involve the main client so if you've got an issue with the designer take it on yourself don't like tell tales um, it's a bit like when you've got brothers and sisters and you keep going to your mum and saying she did this you know she made tell me I only could have a box this big for my copy and then the client has to go to the designer and say Belinda said you've only given her a box this big for the copy what <laughs> don't do that you know do you know what I mean though like try try and resolve it between you as much as possible get on the phone um, pick your battles you know you don't like the colour that they've chosen for the logo it's not your place That's to right. say you know yeah. um, I often I don't find that developers are particularly difficult designers are, are I think uh, are as prima donna-ish as copywriters developers pretty much just want to get on with it and the only thing I've ever found with developers is that sometimes they haven't implemented my copy as I wanted to so they've forgotten to add the title tags or they've made something a header that wasn't meant to be a header but you know they're not invested in that they've just been a bit forgetful I think yeah. it's more where designers are like this copy is not going to work with my brand vision you know that can be a bit hard One thing I used to do, because I would often get, um, I would be writing the copy and then it would, I know it would go off to a designer and I would have no contact with them about it. Um, So what I used to often do with a client is say, why you get two rounds of revisions with, so you get three versions with the project. Why don't you leave one round of revisions as a hot spare, go and get the, the copy put into the design and if you need further revisions made, yes. get me involved again because I wanted to be the person making edits, not the designer. I didn't want someone else going, oh, this is all a bit too long. Why don't I take a few sentences out? I wanted to be involved. So I would just try and very, as Kate said, very diplomatically um, keep myself involved in the project until the design and the copy had made their lovely baby on the website or the brochure or whatever it was. So... Yeah, I think that's so true. I, I I didn't do that. So, you know, basically I sent the copy and I, I almost to a degree washed my hands of it once it had gone because what can I do? 
you know, like unless they were willing to pay me to um, revise it, I wasn't going to get involved. And of course, that meant that sometimes I would go and look at the copy once it had been implemented and be horrified by what had been done for, by it. Yeah. But we've talked about this before on the podcast, that lack of emotional involvement. You know, it's not my copy. It's not my baby. It's the client's baby. And yes, they may change things that I don't agree with. Um, and I'm, I'm, I'm welcome to point them out to them, but it's their product at the end of the day uh, and you know yes you're like oh I can't share it in my portfolio because they ruined it well you know share your original copy deck share yeah. a screenshot of that instead so yeah, yeah. Learn, learn when to let go is another important one um, so final question of this episode now we do have lots more apologies if we didn't get to yours but we are doing another episode so the next question is from Nicole Leadham um, who's a long time coffee buddy of both Belinda and mine mm-hmm. um, and she asks how do I balance writing proposals chasing new work um, and creating a solid funnel uh, with servicing current clients I Belinda what are your tips on that I think we're also going to talk about this more in time management but it is all about managing time I would actually just create chunks of time in the calendar where you say now I'm writing copy like now I'm servicing current clients and then Thursday is my proposal writing day or now this afternoon I'm going to catch up on my proposal writing. But I think you need to find the balance. If you're only ever servicing um, current clients, you're never, you're, you're not going to keep that pipeline coming in. But if you keep just chasing new work, then you're not going to have time to actually get some billable hours. So, yeah. I agree. I don't think, however, it's a good idea to say Friday's my proposal writing day. I think you do need to set aside time for it pretty much every day or at least every second day. So, you know, what I would often do is, you know, um, I just made a little video about this this morning. I would, my first job in the day would be to write some copy uh, before I'd even open my email inbox just to get that creative juice flowing and, and make the first thing I did every day earn me money. Then I'd check my inbox, respond to new inquiries, whack out proposals because then they could be working for me all day while I was writing copy. Um, I think it's so important as well to have little emails ready. And, you know, we've talked about this on the show before. I have a little set of email templates where really, really quickly you can push back a response to the client. Um, It's a pre-made response that talks about how you work, what you do, maybe refers to your pricing page or gives them a very rough ballpark, flicks them your brief, get that out straight away. Um, Your proposal should be a document that doesn't take that long to personalise. You know, most of it, 80% of it is standard, your terms and conditions, how you work, you know, blah, 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 blah. And all you're going through is just writing a little bit of blurb about their particular job and, and costing it out. I really think a propo- writing a proposal for like a, you know, a small website or something shouldn't really take more than half yeah. an hour once you once you get good at it. Don't make it war and peace. They All they really want is a quote. Your only reason you're doing a proposal is to cover your own bottom. So, you know, the proposal should be quick and easy and then you can always qualify it. Have some copy in there that says once I know more about the job or once we've dug deeper. Of course, costs may change because you dig deeper. Um, I just don't think I think people worry too much about proposals and they should just, you know, whack them out. (laughs) But I think uh, to your point and I, I guess to mine as well, but having regular time that you say, okay, now I'm going to be servicing current clients writing copy that earns me money now I'm going to be working on my marketing or my admin or something like that batch the tasks together and then do that kind of admin when you're not feeling very creative yeah uh, yeah and and try and get it out early and off to the client and working for you but systemize the best way for proposals is 
have your rate card ready so it doesn't you don't agonize over the cost have a template for your proposal have an email for every stage of the of the you know client winning process so that you're not thinking i think one of the things that stops people in terms of the proposal new work stuff is they worry or oh, how much should i quote is this well, should i say this or just try and take that emotion out of it and make it very functional very systemized um that that would ha- that that speeds it up and means you've got more time to service your existing clients that's it. I mean, we have got more questions. We really got some good questions, but we have to stop. Otherwise, we we're do. Going to be here forever. We do. Um, well, look, now is the time in the show where we usually do a testimonial, but we're not doing one this week. Uh, we're going to save that for next week. Um, if you have um, uh, something nice to share about the show, please do leave us a testimonial. We are actually running out of testimonials, people. <gasps> so head to wherever you listen to podcasts and leave us a rating and review. We'd be very, very grateful. We do love reading them out at the end of the show your review will help others find us and we'll give you a shout out on the show as well you can also head to hotcopypodcast.com and leave your comments on the blog post for this episode and that's it for this week thanks very much belinda thank you kate until next time happy writing so you're still listening great because i wanted to tell you about my new podcast the recipe for SEO success show. Sadly, this one's just me, Kate Toon, but it is packed full of useful, practical, doable SEO tips and advice. You can find it in the iTunes store, on Stitcher and SoundCloud. Just search for the recipe for SEO success show. I prefer a clone. Would you? I wouldn't because... I think they'd really get on my nerves. I think I'd really annoy myself. Oh, I would definitely annoy myself. Yeah, I, I think I think that'd be a horrible idea. Imagine two of me. Jesus.